Hello, hello, listeners to the Third Way Podcast. So today I have a special treat um, on multiple fronts. Um, I am coming to you with an in-person recording and a speakeasy in a basement outside of Marsing, Idaho. And you're going to think, why the hell are you in a speakeasy in a basement in Marsing, Idaho? And that's because I'm here with my oldest friend and uh, my dearest, one of my dearest friends, my little brother, Cameron Foster. Hello, uh, Cameron. Hello. That was very nice. <laughs> You're welcome. I'm sometimes good at this. Um, so um, I'm here visiting uh, Cameron, Steph, and family, and this is something we've been wanting to do for a while, record a podcast episode. And um, so uh, talk a little bit about, before we get into the questions and the topic, just some context to your background. So, you know, I talk about my ranch roots and everything, and I, I, I'm proud of my cowboy heritage. But you live it every day, um, and so talk a little bit about your your journey as a, as a as a cowboy and a person that works with livestock. Hmm. Well, I like every podcast. Thank you for this podcast. I was kind of looking forward to this. Um, it's kind of way off your other subjects that yeah. I listen to, which are all been interesting. So hopefully it won't bore people to tears because it's something that's totally different than before. Um, and I guess it kind of started when I was a kid. You know, we grew up on the ranch and mm-hmm. um, moved to the west side and came back. And I always had a, a mag- magnetized effect getting back to the ranch. Right. And so moved to Montana, worked on ranches, um, did other things in between. But it always was kind of revol- revolving around... Um, the ranching and the horses and mm-hmm. so kind of where this is going to kind of go maybe is the horse end of it and and where that started and i've always um was fascinated by horses and just the kind of the ranching more the traditions of right. ranching and so it kind of has evolved over the years and now it's not so much you know out on the ranch out in the right in the brush and stuff it's a totally different than that's but it's the same aspect that we're kind of the same industry but um, that's kind of in a nutshell, I guess, with, I've never been able to leave mm-hmm. the ranching, kind of the cowboy and that mostly is the horse part of it. Right. And the stockmanship. And you, you, you are also a furrier. For those of you that don't know, a furrier is a, someone that is trained in horseshoeing and also, um, is a, you worked as a, what'd you say, a finish, finishing trainer or how would you describe how you trained Colts, and I know you often would work with people would get a horse that, and they would, you know, think it was a pet. Horses aren't really pets; um, they're they're friends more than pets. And you would kind of get them where they were functional again. So, what what, what do you call that that work? Um, well, it kind of started as far as like the the horseshoeing. I figured if you're going to be a good stockman, and that's anybody that works with livestock, mm-hmm. um, it could be anything from cattle horses sheep and i thought of to be an all-around like if you're going to be the best stockman that you can be you got to know how to shoe your own horse mm. um and so i and plus you have to make a living and so when i was living in baker you had to do about 10 different things to make a living right. so part of it was the shoeing horse shoeing but i basically would the colt starting so you're the, the first development of a horse mm-hmm. is kind of my interest from anything from halter breaking weanlings mm-hmm. to actually first rides and stuff mm-hmm. like that 
But uh, that's so the Colts or somebody would. I actually was just talking to a lady today that got a horse from somebody that I trained a horse for. That she got the horse and and kind of helping people kind of understand. And we're not going to get too far in the weeds with actually the ins and outs of the right. training part, yeah, the of technical it, but. part, right? But I think it's I think it's important from a context standpoint though because. You know, I I grew up on a ranch, and but you've made a you made you you've made a living of this, um, in all the various ways, um, and so you're you, you know a lot of people have a perspective of horsemanship that is either maybe something they see on on you know TV and they, they watch Yellowstone and they see the horses on there and that seems like a fairly accurate show. They got some good technical advisors, but there's nothing like the aspect of horsemanship when it's for you know ranching or, or stock purposes it's a different it's 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 almost like learning to be a heavy equipment operator instead of just riding around in a circle with a helmet on you know and um so which is kind of one that i wanted to well, you had suggested this topic and i think it's a great idea is this kind of correlation between leadership or leading people and horsemanship which is not really leading horses but there's an element of it that's this kind of symbiotic relationship and I've all, you know, you and I over the years have had hundreds and hundreds of conversations about, about this very topic, and it's cool to be able to record it. So, go ahead. Well, just one thing on that, on the note with, I mean, this is like the tip of the iceberg, and um, making it to where people kind of understand, and people, I mean, they're not ignorant, but if they don't really know, like, the horse um, in leadership, it actually part of it is because of their herd animal. Mm -hmm. If you're a good leader with horses, you can have them pretty much do anything you want them to, but you don't right. do it in a forceful thing. Right. And which is in interesting from our background with our, you know, granddad was a great horseman. You could watch him as a kid and you could see him, he could do, but he rode a horse every day. He'd right. saddle one during calving and ride one every, yeah. and he had it in the barn and he'd saddle at five o'clock and to go, so you you just if you're a horseback you're gonna know how to be a better horse. Yeah. But it's funny with the other part of you know like getting one cornered and scared and and throwing rocks at one if you couldn't catch it, which yeah. was kind of ran in our family, <laughs> which is interesting because dad, you know what, and he showed a lot of horses when they were mm -hmm. in California as a kid and did really well. Yeah. And he, actually, they didn't send the horse to a trainer; they kind of did it themselves, and he went and won, uh, won a lot of you know ribbons and stuff. But they're, the horsemanship to me is sometimes is a head scratcher because I didn't actually get it from them. Right. And it kind of it kind of all started in about the year 2000 with a friend of mine with Riley Stringer mm -hmm. and how they kind of, the horsemanship started with like the, the Tom Dorrance. Yeah, what they call natural horsemanship. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's how it kind of yeah. took off from that. But. And, a, and a reference for non-agricultural -ag people like it would be like the horse whisperer was a little bit like that style correct yeah a lot of the people i mean they took the movie and um used it to kind of tell a story it was a book already written yeah so buck Brannaman was kind of this offshoot of tom dorrance right Hunt. buck Brannaman. now he's pretty famous with the clinics and so mm -hmm. these people kind of branched with these clinics and would go around the country trying to teach mm -hmm. how to get along better with your horses and stuff and it's actually been a great thing in a lot of ways for the horse industry mm -hmm. because people don't really know right but you got to kind of allow yourself to fail in right. order to get it too. So yeah. Anyway, just touch touch the top of the iceberg. Yeah, yeah, that's all right. Um, so the first question, and this is an interesting thing because 
you're gonna this, you're gonna know a lot more about this topic than I do. So I have basically just either memories or opinions. You've mm. got like real life lessons, but so what does working with horses teach us about ourselves? You know, it's relationships, conscious relationships in particular, mirrors, and horses and humans have a similar, almost identical nervous system. Um, the the Comanche word for horse was one or union because there was you know they were noted known as the greatest horsemen of all time in, mm-hmm. North, in North America, at least. And, um, and so what is that mirror of the horse teaching us about ourselves? That is a good question because um, I think even just working with any animal for the most part, but, you know, it's almost, you know, the correlation with, we had talked about with horsemanship to humanmanship, like yeah. just being a good human to yeah. other humans and stuff like that. So there's a, the correlation of uh, what we learn is how to kind of just get along with one mm-hmm. and not really pussyfoot around one, but just be a good leader and also patience. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're very forgiving. Mm-hmm. They're almost easier to work with than humans. Oh, yeah. Because nine out of ten horses want to get along with you. Mm-hmm. So if you can figure out how to get along with one, mm-hmm. that's teaches yourself of, you know, they're all different too. It's mm-hmm. like you and I are different and anybody mm-hmm. we meet are different. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the the breeding can kind of come into play with, you know, the bloodlines and stuff. But it actually goes back further than just the Indian, the mm-hmm. American Indians. Mm-hmm. Um, it actually, there's a book, and I don't remember the name of it, but it actually was like an ancient uh, Greece with some of the different things of different horsemanship stuff that they did. Hmm. Because they used them every day and they needed to yeah. have a job that you could do without, right. you know, getting hurt or whatever. Right. And then having just the longevity of the the use of the animal without it going lame or whatever. Right. So, um, I guess, but basically it's the patience to mm-hmm. work with animals mm-hmm. um, and the horses will... And just doing something out of your own self mm-hmm. is good for anything. Right. That's a good. That's a good one. So that's probably the main thing I take from it is you're trying to help... Somebody other than yourself, this being a horse in this instance, uh-huh. to kind of get through life better, and and they have a, a soul and they got a brain, so you got two things going on that you need to kind of work together. Mm-hmm. You just can't go to whacking on them and expect it to be great. Right. Yeah. I think you know what I recall, and you know I I don't get horseback a lot, but a horse is. Yeah, there's a saying in relationships is, is you teach other people how to treat you. That a horse will teach you how to treat it. Um, and th- th- because they don't lie. You know, they're, they're not negotiating. You know, if they don't like the way that the, the bit fills in their mouth, they're going to let you know. It's almost like a, like a, like a kid before the age of like three. They're just going to be super honest and direct about what they need. And um, I think that that kind of honesty... Um, of expression is 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 a way that's mirrored back to the writer of like, you know, if you're an asshole, the horse is going to tell you you're an asshole. Or if you're passive, the horse is going to tell you that you're passive. And I always remember like the the admonition of our our grandmother when she because she was the one that really taught me how to ride um, on the ranch. Like really, my dad taught me how to saddle horse, and Uncle Don certainly showed me stuff. Granddad didn't really teach; he wasn't much of a teacher. He's more of a shower, I guess you could say. But Nana would say, uh, always let him know who's boss. And 
which sounds like a dominant thing, but it's related more to the role of this symbiotic relationship between you and the horse. And, and I think that a lot of us humans, especially in situations where we have to work with other people or other, other creatures, we either, we either, we tend to be very binary. Like we tend to dominate we want to be the dominator, the alpha, if you will, or we're just passive. We're just going along, but you can't really do that with horses. I mean, you can, but you're not going to get the same oneness effect um, from, from, from horses. If, if you take on those kind of either passive or dominating roles. That's true. Um, it's interesting with, with that when I kind of compare it to kind of raising a kid mm-hmm. with kind of starting a colt and usually they're two or three year old horses. Um, I prefer, you know, halter brokers kind of starting from ground zero. You're mm-hmm. not trying to fix a bunch of human caused problems because <laughs> most of the problems the horse faces um, are actually the human's right. inability to, to do the right thing for the horse. And they're kind of telling you, but if you don't have the sense to kind of understand where they're at and kind of think ahead of where they're thinking, then that's a key. But I I've thought it was kind of interesting with like a weanling, for instance. If you try to get one halter and you're kind of working with it, where you can go into a big pen or out in a field and they come up to you and you can mm-hmm. catch them and they're actually wanting to be with you. Right. That's a great thing. Mm. I mean, it's true that with, with humans, like you want people to kind of be, you want to be approachable. Right. <laughs> um, and then the other thing with like a weanling is... You, what's a weanling? What's that? Just Well, for... they're just weaned off of the mare. So how old? Um, I mean, they're probably eight to nine months. Okay. You know, after they're kind of grown. They Are kind they weanable at that? No, they're too small at that point. In fact, okay. you know, up until their yearling, you can kind of start doing some stuff. But you can set some really good foundation as a, as yeah. a weanling. And the one thing I found interesting when I worked for Harold's in Baker, they had that bunch of horses and they have that bull sale and the horse sale. Right. And so when I worked for them, just kind of getting their winglings kind of ready for the next phase. And there's always these steps of like preparing to be caught, mm-hmm. preparing to be handled their feet. Mm-hmm. So you're always preparing them for the next step. Hmm. And if you put enough pressure, I guess we can call it, to where you give them just amount enough education where they're wanting more. Mm-hmm. You come back the next day, you don't want to go over that that line right. because you can lose them. They'll kind of give up. and So it's like a kid in school. Mm-hmm. You put so much pressure where they just don't even want to go to school anymore. Right. But you, they're really absorbing, and then you stop at a certain point, and the next day they're even that much better mm-hmm. because you, re- you stopped at that certain point. So it was really mm-hmm. interesting with the weanlings. So you're not riding them at that point, but right. you're just getting them ready to be rode or be saddled or whatever. Mm-hmm. And so they're really fun to work with um, as far as the weanling part of it. But, yeah, it's just a, it's a, a you got to have a lot of patience. you got to be knowing when to stop at where you're not overdoing something. Right. It reminds me of the coach, a, a former college, or football coach, uh, Jimmy Johnson. He goes, he said, you got to know who's asked to kick, who's asked to pat, and who's asked not to touch. Mm-hmm. And, and, and horses, you know, are... They're, they're, in many ways, I find them anyway, more interesting and diverse than humans. You know, because we have a neocortex and we, we know how to pretend, we know how to mask, we know how to bullshit. It's all part of sort of survival mechanisms of the humans, especially in a society with a lot of social conditioning. Horses don't have any guile, you know, and they, and they, they have their personality 
And no two horses are the same. I suppose that's true for other mammals, but something about horses to me is as it relates to kind of this next question about what is working with horses teach us about working with other humans is this idea that everybody's different and everyone needs to be treated according to the best way to get to what's in their best interest and your best interest, what we would call collaboration, not persuasion or coercion. Mm. So talk about that for a little bit. Is, is, so we talk about what we learn about ourselves and our own habits and patience and things like that. How does that apply then to like what would be considered traditional leadership where working with a horse has a set of leadership principles that are transferable to working with humans? Um, well, I don't have a bunch of fancy words for it, but <laughs> I hope one, not. <laughs> the one thing that's interesting with the horse, like and with humans, is no one wants to be under a magnifying magnifying glass, mm-hmm. especially in um, marriages. Um, but any, what you're, what you're doing is putting them under a a, uh, a microscope, uh-huh. and then looking at every little flaw. Yeah. I mean, that's, that doesn't work good with humans or horses because yeah. what happens is if you do that and start picking on all, all those things, trying to fix it, then you have 20 different problems that you're trying to address because you're just, you're too critical at that mm-hmm. point. Right. And usually what happens for a horse, because this is what we're talking about, and I probably know more about that than actually the human part of it, is you kind of fix one thing with the horse of the 20 things that could be fixed that day. You fix the one thing and work on that. And a lot of times it actually fixes the other 19 things. Right. And so that's kind of a correlation, what you're kind of saying about the leadership role with it. Uh huh. So instead of just pounding every little bit out, you get a sour, they don't want to learn. Mm-hmm. They don't really like you. <laughs> right. Because you're too critical. Right. And so you just kind of pick one thing, work on that. And then the next day, you know, maybe address it, you know, say it's uh, loping a circle to the right. Mm-hmm. And they're not picking up that correct lead. Mm-hmm. And so people really want to hammer on that and said, you know, maybe we should just go for a ride out through the sagebrush, mm-hmm. come back and then maybe lope around the sagebush. And pretty soon they do it naturally because right. you're, you're kind of filling in and they're kind of picking up on their own. So there's a, um, and then letting them figure things out on their own, mm, that's setting it up for, you're kind of blocking maybe for them to be doing something wrong, but you don't want to completely eliminate that. Mm-hmm. So you want to have these kind of a barrier on each side where you're kind of in and out, letting them kind of bounce off the barrier, but never too critical about it and letting them kind of figure it out. Mm-hmm. And, and the, the main thing is not, not being critical, but you don't want to just reprimand them every time they make a mistake either. Yeah. And what they end up doing is they're kind of start filling in, figuring out, okay, well, I don't really want to go there because it feels easier to be here. And that's the thing, they're so sensitive. Yeah. I think it was even said at one time that they know when you're on them asking for something, they can feel a gnat or a fly or a mosquito land on their butt. Yeah. So why would you not think that if you just picked right. up the rain lightly and did that, that they're not gonna, I mean, they're very sensitive. Right. So that's the other thing is kind of being, you know, light hands with them and not mm-hmm. being too critical, I guess is the main Yeah point with that question, I guess. Yeah, I never thought about that. Um, you know, I know, you know, I do a lot of my own, I've done a lot of my own work um, uh, on myself and then, you know, reading about the nervous system. And um, there's a book 
um, I can never pronounce the author's name, but it's The Body Keeps the Score. It's how trauma is stored in the body. And I know, I remember before I knew anything about that, is that when you would get a horse that was, that you were training, that if it had been mishandled up to the point of abuse, it's, that's in its body. And you have to figure out how to get it out of its body. And I remember you spending uh, one uh, one particular horse, and I don't remember where or, or what, but where you just stood there and you it, it was nervous, and you you got you, it allowed it allowed you to approach it, and you I don't know how long it was, maybe five ten minutes. You just stood there with your hand on his flank, um, and just sat there, or just stood there, and he was shivering, tremoring, at just the nervous system, and then he calmed down and. There was, there was a, there was, that's where that trust comes in. And what's interesting to me too, as it relates to leadership, is there's something in neuroscience called neurocoupling, which is sort of a fancy word for trust. And it's that, that, that our nervous system is an excellent bullshit detector. The difference is with a horse and a human, a horse doesn't have a story about that other than what happened. You know, it, it can say, okay, when the, the last person that put their hand on me did it and they hit me or they were abusive. Um, and we don't have a story. We don't justify that. We don't have a story about, you know, existential, horses don't have existential crises about what happened. Um, but if we can, it, it teaches a different kind of sensitivity. And I think like there's a, it, you know, there's a common word now of triggered that is used and sometimes misused, but it's generally for, you know, awareness that people have nervous system triggers. Well, horses do too. I remember on the ranch, I don't, uh, the horse, I had a horse named Chip, and I don't know why. Maybe you could say why he was scared shitless of uh, those of those orange dams, those fabric or tarp dams. And he would, if he was around one, he would start bucking. I don't know why, but there was something in his nervous system and in his imprint that um, that was triggering to him. And so you know, you can't. I can't go rub his face in it until he gets used to it. There's no immersion therapy for that. You just sort of work with it. You work around it. And I think this is the thing that's missing in leadership today, especially as we move from sort of the machine age into the human age, is we don't, so few people have a delicate touch. They're they're either pillows or hammers, you Mm -hmm. know, and they're either weak and passive or they're overly aggressive and dominating, as I said earlier. And that nuance, what that requires is, and I'm always curious about this your reaction to this is like a a bad horseman can wreck a good horse, mm-hmm. but a good horseman can make a bad horse better. Mm-hmm. And I think that's exactly true with people as well. As you can be a bad boss and turn a star employee into, you know, somebody that doesn't want to go to work anymore. Mm-hmm. Well, that is true. And I I I'll just say this about that with the the horse and the leadership part and 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 actually getting the best out of someone. Mm-hmm. And I have that at where I work. Um, you know, I have cowboys and different people that we hire under the cowboy crew. And they might have a past. you got to give people a second chance. You, you know, give horses a, a second, third chance, whatever chance it takes. But the other thing, too, that I think is a key that I put a star next to if I was talking about it is just getting the best out of everyone. So mm-hmm. you're actually just trying to find something in the horse that's good or their good part, and building on that. So yeah. building on the good part instead of um, seeing everyone's bad or, or like yeah. humans, we're all kind of sinners or we're bad. Yeah. You know, we have a bad gene where we're not, yeah. I mean, we're not great at everything. Right. Um, so we have qualities in people that 
you bring out the the best in the horse or you bring out the best in a person the quality is the best part of them and sometimes it's hard to find especially in humans right <laughs> yeah you can like okay i can pick that one thing from that person and i'm going to go on on that and and build with and what happens with that is you kind of do build a trust there too mm-hmm. and actually going back to what you're talking about with putting the hand on the flank and i don't remember that particular story but mm-hmm. um is this getting them wanting to be with you like i said earlier and also not having them feel like they're trapped. Like if they mm-hmm. want to leave, kind of make it uncomfortable for them to leave and easier to be with you. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of how it is, even if you're talking about the, the irrigation dam. Mm-hmm. Like you're not get, you know, as you're saying that, part of you is bringing, you know, is talking about bringing the life of yourself mm-hmm. and the life of the horse. So he's actually probably sensing that in you too. Mm-hmm. Maybe knowing that he was going to be weird about it. Mm-hmm. His life, his energy level, yeah. went up right because you were nervous about it right <laughs> so that's another thing about it being a good leader if you're not if you don't really give two shits about if they're gonna buck or run off mm-hmm. make it to where your energy where you're kind of level yeah. and like they'll be calm like and if you could take the next person that was confident in knowing that that horse is going to do that and letting it kind of be bothered you know get a little closer let them yeah. sniff it maybe walk across the thing a few times maybe right. it'll pick it up and flip it around or whatever and knowing that you don't have the energy that's going to be freaking out. Right. Then it brings their energy down to where they can understand. But you can kind of build on that. There's all sorts of different things yeah. you can, to where they're going up to the tarp. And, you know, even like uh, you wouldn't think that'd be that tough a thing to do, but crossing a ditch. Right. And so Riley and I would start a bunch of horses in his place in Ontario. And we'd go across this pasture and down this hill. And then we actually crossed this ditch that had a bunch of water. And the horse is back and forth. And you're kind of blocking those, like those barriers to where they want to go one way on the ditch mm-hmm. and they're left down the ditch. They don't want to go across the ditch. Right. So you're kind of blocking that, blocking that. And pretty soon they might put their, and then just, he goes, let, like, just don't control them at all. Once they're heading the right way. You're right. That's the relief. Ah. Is you don't, you block, block, block. And the relief is actually doing the right thing. Instead of, because if you were hanging on as they're going over the ditch, there's no relief there yeah and the kind of the same thing with humans like you kind of block a certain thing as far as relationships like yeah and then when they find it let them find it on their own with their head down even if they just step in it paw in the water and then pretty soon they're just walking across the ditch like they've done it all their lives which you'd think that they maybe they never were exposed to that but the exposure and then being a good leader of letting them find it on their own but blocking where they're going to be going wrong mm-hmm and then giving their head and just not even having any hold of the rein and let them kind of, sometimes they paw in the water hmm. to get used to it because they don't know. And so that's the other thing is kind of blocking those wrong things. And when they do find it, the easy thing is easy for them to find because you're not blocking them from doing the right thing. Right. Yeah. Actually, there's a lot of lessons here for marriage and, you know, your primary, your, your partner relationship too is, and one of those things that, um, I think is important in horses and in people and everything is to be safe to be around, you know, and, and, you know, the, the mammalian nervous system notices insecurity and notices nervousness and it can only process it as a threat because there's no story to it because mammals don't have a neocortex where they can tell a story about something or to, you know, this is another unique human thing is that we can tell stories that someone else tells us and tell them to somebody else and never experience it. And that's what movies are in books in a lot of ways. But horses can't do that. All they know is the truth of what their system is telling them about your state of being. And I think that, again, it goes back to there's a, there was a purity there. And I think that 
when it comes to relationships of any sort, whether they be at home or at work, is if there's a, a sense of, you know, a lot of people say, well, that's just the way I am. It's just the way I am. And then you need to get used to it, to whatever, you know, to, to a, a, a boss that's demanding or a, or a spouse that's demanding. Um, but that's not true. It's not just the way you are. Um, and what I think the horses teach us is that, teaches humans is we are responsible for our own energy. They, we can't expect them to adapt because they're not. They're only going to do stuff based off of pressure, like you said, or freedom. It's pretty simple for them. And I think that's very true at the subtext or the subconscious level of any sort of human relationship too, is you got to get down underneath all of the conditioning you have about communication or leading and, um, and actually connect with people soul to soul. And when you do that, something magical happens. You know, there's this sort of symbiotic nature, like, like we said earlier. Mm-hmm. So, um, so, uh, you know, we were raised on stories, you know, uh, <laughs> stories are at Cal camp, you know, in the, in the canvas wall tent and the trailer mm-hmm. and, you know, stories at Nana and granddad's table or Don, Don and Vicky's table. Um, and so, you know, our, this, and this is part of, you know, the cowboy culture is, is storytelling. It's like a, or almost like a requirement is if you're not a good storyteller, then people don't trust you. <laughs> so, uh, so what I wanted to end with is a good story. And so mm-hmm. what I'm curious about is just tell us a good life lesson story about working with horses, like, uh, something that, yeah, is a story. It's got a location it's got characters. It's got a plot. It's got an outcome. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, I guess the best story could be just the one that took place today. I mean, oh. it's the forefront of my mind. That's so, cool. All right. Um, I happen to have this colt who's actually, I don't know his the past of what happened. I think what happened with him is because he's kind of somewhat gentle, the person that had him and whoever starred him really forced him into doing things that he wasn't ready to do yet. Mm-hmm. And so... Um, you basically, when you get a horse, you get on and riding it. That that's the first day you have an impression to make, and so he's had some issues um, leading up to today. Well, today I get get him caught and kind of go out and I'm going to ride these pins. He's kind of going around. There's a few things that I'd like to kind of fix, but I'm just kind of letting him ride through the cattle and everything. And so we get through a couple of pins, but pretty soon he kind of bogs his head and like blows up in the air and I was like, he's going to come down on his side and probably break my leg or hurt. And so I kind of pulled him up and then I'm like, okay, well, we're going to have to make this not a thing that you're going to keep doing. So we went out through there and we went through this pasture and we just kind of trotted around there and kind of got, and we went back to the pen and went back to the cattle. And he's like, okay, well, I guess I won't (laughs) really do that because that was unsafe. You don't want to be on an unsafe... But they, I mean, that's the character that he had something triggered mm-hmm. to where, yeah, I'm not going to go with this whacking on him and make it, because then it probably would build a problem right. in there. And then he'd be one of those that you're just constantly kind of monkeying with. Right. So I made it kind of difficult, kind of got him a little bit tired and kind of loped some circles and this went back in the pen, rode through the cattle, and he's kind of head down and everything. And he was, was fine. But that's probably the story as of in the forefront of my mind of yeah. this happening today is he's just kind of all of a sudden just kind of, and he kind of has that um, where he'll kind of test you. And that's the other thing too, like being a passive writer. 
um, because animals are the, the flight or flight mm-hmm. kind of mentality. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So the natural horsemanship thing, to wrap it up too with that, and we could talk about this for hours, mm-hmm. or I could, <laughs> is it's actually not really natural because you're talking about the tarp with the dam. Yeah. So their natural instinct is to run off. Yeah. So natural horsemanship is kind of a weird thing yeah. because you're not really wanting the horses to run no, off because right. that's what he'd really want to do in that right. situation. Right. So anyway, there's uh, a lot of stories. Everyone's different. I love the personality of every horse. Um, some are more challenging. And mm. I've had some in the past um, when I was in Baker that they basically ran with the elk. And when I got one in from this Ron Lay was his name. These things were like literally like trying to start elk, really? and they were pretty. They were wild, and it wasn't so much the horse. Like if I was a little better horseman at that time, I probably could have got around them a little better and made them better. Uh-huh. But my ability and my knowledge was the factor of not having enough knowledge to how to kind of get them better at it. So you're constantly building on just knowledge of being a better leader in the situation to kind of make the horse better. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, I uh, the story that comes up for me is a, a lesson in that um, horses teach can teach us is they have they have sort of an innocent priority of what's best for them, and you know sometimes at least what they perceive as best for them. And so I had a horse as I mentioned that I rode um, it was my primary horse from I, I guess I'm trying to remember here maybe age eleven to like age fifteen when we moved from Baker to to Portland, Oregon, 19, December of 86. And so Chip was a big horse. Like, I don't remember how many hands, you know, which is how they measure mm-hmm. horses. But I do remember up until about the age of 13, I had to find a hay bale or a bank or something to get on so I could get on him because it was a long way up there. And he loved to run like a lot of horses do, you know, love to get out and open and just just run. And that's why you see that during um, – you know, horses out in the field and the, you know, mm-hmm. before a thunderstorm, just running, you know, mm-hmm. something in their energy is very attached or in sync with the rest of nature. And there's that feeling of power that you can't really replicate. I'm in some very fast cars, you know, and it's not the same. And I've never, you've been on the back of a bull. I've never done that. Um, so I assume it's a similar kind of power, but there's this power of like, I can't control this. Like when they're on a dead run, I suppose I, if I was a good horseman, I would be able to control that. But there's this agreement that, like, you're not, I'm going to let you do this, and you're not going to kill me. <laughs> yeah. And so we're going balls out uh, through this hay field. And I knew where all the ditches were and stuff. And so I was, you know, was safe enough. And, and we have in, West, in eastern Oregon, we have badgers. These are these big kind of, um, like, big, yeah, badgers. They live in the holes in the ground. And I'm riding full tilt. Um, my my um, cowboy hat's flown off, and the only thing holding it on was the the string I had, and then and the his he's just running, and in front of me I don't know maybe fifteen to twenty yards away, but we're going I don't know probably thirty miles an hour or whatever how fast a horse can go when it's going all out. This badger comes out of its hole. Now I don't think it was coming out of its hole because it saw us coming and it was aggressive. They're mammals and they want to be left alone. But Chip saw that, and he taught me a lesson on he will do what's best for him. And he stopped on a dead run. Imagine going that fast and then, like, breaking. And I went up over, like, I didn't get bucked off. I got gravitied off. (laughs) 
And I went, I remember just going through and launching and kind of going over the badger and like, and then kind of the kind of sky ground, sky ground, and then bam, flat on my back. And the badger goes back in the hole and I look up and I've got the wind knocked out of me. And I look up and Chip is just standing there and he looks at me and he blows. You know, they, mm-hmm. the horses have this blowing thing. He looks at me like, you, you dumb fucker. <laughs> and, and then just starts eating grass. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, it, 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 it wrecked my day. And he mm-hmm. was like, oh, that happened. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, you're not dead and I'm safe. I'm going to eat hay and I'll wait for you to get over yourself. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that's a lesson. That's one. Both mm-hmm. of us could tell so many stories about horse horses and what they what they teach us and it's i think a it's not really a lost art i mean you because you live in it every day and you know i think horsemanship is maybe not more popular it's probably the most popular it's been in many many years and you know when people have property they tend to you know want to buy a horse and that's that heritage that continues on and i just hope that we can do that you know i'm all about technology and change and evolution and all that but there's things that nature can teach us that only nature can teach us. And there are things within nature like horses that can only teach us certain things. And it seems to be some sort of like deal with mother nature. Like we've been sent these teachers and we, we don't want to lose our connection to them. You know, mm-hmm. um, one of my complaints about living in Texas is, you know, it's a big ranch state. Um, but the places generally, the places you can go to go horseback riding, you're basically trail riding, you know, ass to nose, horse, you know, going, plodding along, and you got to wear, like, a bicycle helmet. Mm. And I finally found one up in Waco where you could ride uh, with just a regular hat, and they were a little more loose with, like, letting you run. But I long for the days, and I, I think back last year, Virginia and I went to the, the, I took her to the ranch for the first time, and Jessica, our cousin Jessica, got us some horses to ride, and just that open range feeling. I'd like to feel that more. You know, you don't, you don't get that living in the city. So Yeah, that's the the one great thing too that I will have to say before this is wrapped up is the um they have no sense of time. Right. Animals, horses, whatever. So one of the best thing you could do for your soul or I enjoy is actually you see instead of driving, you know, if you're on a trip, you never see what you could see in a car mm-hmm. as you as opposed to riding a horse through the hills or whatever. Right. And the the different smells, you know, the the rain at, on the junipers after a storm, and the sagebrush, and and being one with the horse, and you know, times of being basically united as one, you know, with us, mm-hmm. you know, his four legs, and you're riding along on right. his back. And I remember one time, I was check checking these heifers in at the Heritage Ranch in Baker where I worked and was on this colt and we're riding along through the pasture and I happened to look over my shoulder and I saw this heifer was calving and I just happened to look and thinking to myself, well, I should go check on her. And the horse knew, and this is no joke, it's happened more than once. Mm -hmm. As I kind of turned and looked, I thought I should go check on that. He turned and knew, because we were united as kind of one, knew, okay, he's looking over there. Oh, let's go check that cow. And he went, and so Mm -hmm. you're kind of, unified and that's the best part of it is when it does come together it's not like hopping on a four-wheeler and buzzing no, right. up the road and people treat horses like that like they right. want it to be the same every time right. as it is like getting on a four-wheeler and turning the key on and going right but it's not they got yeah. a brain yeah and if you could use that 
to become more unified mm -hmm. and a partner, yeah, then you can get so much more done. It's way more enjoyable. They are enjoying themselves because they, in their gut, they're at ease. Right. And so if you can kind of keep it at that level, you can get a lot of stuff out of a horse. Yeah, that's a great place to stop about. And just this idea again of, you know, be safe to be around. Uh, remember that you can't do it yourself. It's, you know, no other living creature is a machine. Um, and that's something I, I talk about constantly on this podcast and talks and speeches and workshops is you can't, people are not machines. They're not assets. They're not, um, they're, they're people, they're humans, they're creatures. And the same thing applies to, you know, horses and dogs and everything else too. But there's something special about horses. So I know we're going to turn up, but the other thing right. too is, like even just putting the the bridle on and the and I actually was telling this to a kid that's pretty green was starting to ride here at the the feedlot and he the hair was the mane was kind of underneath the bridle weird and kind of all bunched up and so the other thing too is like don't be rude be smooth mm -hmm. don't be rude with people mm -hmm. people don't like it right for the most part and so if you're gonna do it treat them you know get the hair get them you know have to take some pride in it mm -hmm. and don't don't be rude about what you're doing with them you know be smooth. Get the mane out, let them kind of, and make them kind of feel special because that's their, that's their goal is to kind of have that, yeah, that feeling of being a part of something and not being just a, a tool. Yeah, and the more aggressive someone is, or 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 forcing the matter, or dominating, whatever you want to call it, I I I like the word aggressive. The more the more fear that they actually have, and you can do that with another human for a while. Again, you teach people how to treat you. You can't do that with a horse. Um, mm -hmm. I think that's why we didn't even touch on this is like equine therapy and, mm -hmm. you know, how horses are used now for um, for uh, people with special needs or uh, PTSD. We, I have a friend in Colorado who is a, a psychiatrist or psychologist who um, has got a certification in equine therapy. Mm -hmm. And 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 she primarily works with combat vets. Um, and there's something about that 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 this soothing to our own nervous system to know that a horse cannot lie to you. Mm -hmm. Dogs can't either, but cats lie all the time. <laughs> <laughs> but horses don't lie; they can't lie. And and there's something good and innocent and right about that. That if we were able to do that as a society, we would get a lot more shit done. We'd have a lot more joy. We would have a lot more synchronicity and less stress. And why wouldn't we want that? Mm -hmm. So, amen amen all right <laughs> thanks for the chat and the speakeasy and a basement and marsing idaho and love you love you too